0: following program is recorded content created by the truth network
1: should we be praying prayers of judgment found in the psalms on people like vladimir putin
2: it's time for the line of fire with your host biblical scholar and cultural commentator dr michael brown your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity call 866-34-TRUTH to get on the line of fire And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown.
1: Thanks for joining us on the line of fire. Michael Brown, delighted and blessed to be with you. Here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Anything you want to talk to me about, any biblically related subject, any theme you want to challenge me on, by all means, phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH. But I want to focus first on this question of praying Psalms of Judgment on our enemies or praying Psalms of judgment on someone like Vladimir Putin, who is causing so much bloodshed right now by his invasion of Ukraine. A colleague of mine wrote to me, very astute theologically, deep in the word, known the Lord for many, many years. And he said, Mike, what do you think? Do you think that we should start praying the imprecatory Psalms, Psalms of imprecation, which means Psalms of cursing, Do you think we should start praying these psalms over Vladimir Putin and basically say, Lord, either stop him or take him? What do you think about that? And, of course, the imprecatory psalms are part of the Bible, and it's a question Christians have asked through the generations. Do we pray down curses on our enemies, not for our own vindication, not even for our own protection, but for the sparing of other innocent lives? Is it right to do that? Or has there been a shift from Old Testament thought to New Testament thought? That whereas in the Old Testament, you would pray down curses and judgment on your enemies because they were the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people. Now in the New Testament, we pray for salvation and we bless those that curse us. What's a right and righteous approach? How should we look at this before the Lord? Uh, Go with me to Psalm 109. This is one of those psalms, an imprecatory psalm, and I want to read it to you and then ask the question, how do we as believers today apply a psalm like this? Psalm 109, and it begins with these words, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So presumably written by David, it could be written for David in the Davidic collection of psalms, but presumably written by David. Those that are watching, I've got my Accordant software screen up where just got basic Hebrew biblical text on the left side of the page and English translation on the right side of the page. So, Psalm 109, verse 1. Be not silent, O God of my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. The Hebrew is, is literally, uh, but I am prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. So let's step back for a moment and think about this. David's saying, hey, I haven't done anything wrong to them. They're trying to hurt me. He's writing presumably as the king. So his enemies, as he stands in righteousness, are God's enemies. They are coming against him because he is anointed and called by God not because he's been stealing their money or cheating on their wives when he when he sinned and judgment fell on him for sin he recognized it this is something different he's saying this is undeserved i've i've shown them love they're showing me hatred and they want to bring me down so what's his response we go into verse 6 appoint a wicked man against him let an accuser stand at his right hand when he is tried Let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruit of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. Let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the broken hearted to put them to death. He loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord of those who speak evil against my life. But you, God my Lord, deal on my behalf for your namesake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I'm gone like a shadow at evening. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I'm an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth, I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. Should we be praying prayers like that today? Should we be praying that over Vladimir Putin and basically saying, God, judge him, judge his offspring, judge the next generation after that, if he refuses to repent bring him down stop him why because innocent lives are being taken because men women and children that are not combatants are being killed because the whole world is being threatened what if this leads ultimately to nuclear war what if a billion people die surely better that one man dies than that that happens so it's not out of personal vindictiveness or a personal desire for retaliation, but for the glory of God's name, for justice, for the protection of the innocent, that prayers like this should be prayed, or were prayed. Should they be prayed today? Let me, let me give you an argument for it, and then I'll give you my official position on this. When we pray, even so come Lord Jesus, when we pray Maranatha, which is our Lord come, when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, we are not just praying for him to come and, and glorify his people so that we can be with him forever. We are not just praying for him to come and establish peace on the earth. We are also praying for him to come and destroy the unrepentant wicked. He will come, Second Thessalonians 1, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that don't know God and don't obey the gospel. And they'll be punished with eternal destruction from the presence of the Lord. So he will come in judgment. And when we pray for his return, we are praying for that judgment. Or let's look at it like this. Let, let's see what your emotional reaction would be to these two different scenarios. Scenario one, you hear that a plane has crashed going into Ukraine and it was carrying, it was carrying all types of medical supplies and food and, and there was a plane filled with doctors and nurses and healthcare providers and others who were going at their own expense into this risky, risky territory to serve the people of Ukraine. And you hear that it got struck by lightning and crashed and everyone died and all the supplies were lost. You think, how in the world did that happen? Oh, and when the lightning hit it, it crashed and landed on a kindergarten filled with children. And everyone's killed. You think they're trying to do good, they're trying to help, and some freak event, lightning, and everybody's dead? How'd that happen? Now let's change the scenario. Here's a plane coming into Ukraine with trained terrorists who are going to kill as many elderly and children as they can they're going to wipe out as many innocent people as they can. They are trained terrorists. They are ferocious. They are murderers. And their plane is flying into Ukraine to carry out this mission. It gets hit by lightning and it comes down on a convoy of terrorists who were being sent in to assassinate president Zelensky. Zelensky. Would you say God intervened? The first minute you say, what happened? How did that happen? That makes no sense. The second you would say, that looks like divine intervention. That looks like divine judgment. That looks like God rescued these innocent people from being killed and butchered. So there is something in us that says amen to what appears to be divine judgment. If we hear a sentence carried out uh, or, or a sentence given by the court to some mass murder and serial rapist of children, and this person will spend the rest of their life in jail without parole or will have the death penalty, as opposed to they get out in six months, you think, okay, that's justice. That's right. So could we apply the imprecatory Psalms in the same way? Here's why I say no. Number one, Jesus does set a different example for us. He, he does not fight those who are seeking to bring him to the cross. When he hangs on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We're not talking about whether we should protect ourselves, whether self-defense is good, whether we should be supplying arms to help the people in Ukraine. We're not asking those questions. That's a totally separate issue. We're talking about, should we be praying down judgment? God, stop this person or kill them. So first, there is a different tone set. Jesus said, you've heard of old that, that you should love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And I'm telling you, love your enemy and and pray for those that persecute you. And Paul adds in Romans 12, bless those who curse you and don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Again, we're not talking about self-defense. We're not talking about the the Second Amendment in America and the right to bear arms. We're not talking about armies fighting wars against oppressors. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about praying prayers of judgment on, on people doing wicked things. That's the first thing. The second thing is where do we draw the line at, at what point do we pray these prayers? What Putin is doing is evil, but there have been far, 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 far more evil things being done and have been done in years past, in decades past. So at, at what point do we draw the line? At, at what point do we start doing this? The problem is if we go down this path, we're, we're going to start praying down judgment on everybody. Breaking every law, any law, hurting anyone on any level, Lord, bring them to repentance or kill them or stop them. And in that case, many of us never would have gotten to be saved if people were praying those kind of prayers for us before we were saved. The whole world would get wiped out first. I'm going to come back with a really interesting account about 2,000 years old. Stay right here.
2: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
1: If you'd like to make a case for praying the Psalms of Judgment down on the enemies of God, the enemies of God's people, the enemies of the innocent, you think you can make a biblical case for it, by all means, give us a call. Always welcome another side of the discussion, 866-348-7884 when president Biden was inaugurated, I immediately tweeted out and posted on Facebook, a call to pray for him based on first Timothy two, one through four, the way we're called to pray for Kings, those in authority. That was prayer for, for Biden. I didn't vote for him. I uh, had grave concerns about his presidency. Those continue to this day. My concerns, I believe were fully justified. Nonetheless, He's our president. He's my president. You may not have liked Donald Trump, may not have voted for him, but he was your president in the last election. That's just the way it works here. So I put up a call to pray for him. And some people, very disturbing to see this, said, yeah, I'm going to pray Psalm 109 for him. So I said, is you're going to pray that his grandchildren die? You're going to pray prayers like that? Are you serious? So it, it really concerns me when I see people take those words and then start to apply them the way they do. And, and I, I referred back, I wrote an article about it. I went back to Luke 9, where the disciples are, are with Jesus. He has to pass through Samaria, but the Samarians won't have them do it. So they say, well, should we call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? And the Lord rebukes them. A longer text says, you don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Yes, justice is right. Yes, we should have courts. Yes, there are times when war is necessary. Understand all those things. But that is very different from praying down judgment on your enemies. Look, God cares about the Russians and the Ukrainians. And many of the Russians are victims to their own system right now. If the reports are true, again, it's hard to sift what's true, what's propaganda on all sides now. But if the reports are true, Russian soldiers upon capture saying, we didn't know what this was about. We were told that you were under a fascist regime, that you were Nazis, and we had to denazify you. Others thought uh, apparently they were going on training drills and didn't know they'd be in real war with their neighbors. Many of their, remember, there are many Russians in Ukraine. So God cares about all of these individuals, and I don't see it written anywhere that Vladimir Putin has sinned beyond the point of return. Of course, he fashions himself to be a strong Christian and even a defender of Russian orthodoxy, a defender of the church. And Russia has some very strong moral policies, much better than America by law. Obviously, we have to get it by the heart. That's the biggest thing. But in any case, God cares about all these people. And I understand the prayer, Lord, bring him to repentance or take him out of the way. But once more, I ask you, at what point do we pray those prayers? And and, and what if people prayed prayers like that for us before we were saved? And God in his mercy saved us. You know, I think of the notorious serial killer, son of Sam, David Berkowitz, arrested. Someone tried to kill him in prison, still got that big scar on on his neck. Uh, And and then God gloriously saved him, wonderfully saved him. So he'll serve out the rest of his years behind bars, but, but wonderfully saved in the midst of it. Of course, he can't undo the damage that he did, but he, no matter what he did, put to death, no matter what, he can't undo that damage. So I would strongly caution the, the praying of those prayers and rather pray for—let God figure out the best thing to do. Lord, stop the bloodshed. Lord, have mercy. Lord, turn the tide. Lord, don't let this get out of hand so that hundreds of millions of people die. Lord, bring Putin and others to repentance. God knows all the intricacies of things. But I would not pray for death of others because it, it is a slippery slope from there. And then again, as I said, where does one draw the line? So Testament of Abraham is a Jewish work that was written in the first or second century of this era. So it's, it's roughly 2,000 years, 1,900 years old, apparently written uh, by a Jew in Greek Perhaps in Egypt, and it tells the account of Michael being sent to Abraham to tell Abraham he's gonna die. Michael is having a hard time doing it because Abraham is such a nice and wonderful man, and he doesn't want to die. So there's one scene where Abraham is brought up in a heavenly chariot, and, and I believe it's very, very relevant. So uh, I'm I'm gonna read it for you. It's oh, a couple long paragraphs. That's about it but it's fascinating and it really gives a perspective from God's viewpoint. All right. So it says this, and the archangel Michael went down and took Abraham upon a chariot of the cherubim and exalted him into the air of heaven and led him upon the cloud together with 60 angels. And Abraham ascended upon the chariot over all the earth. And Abraham saw the world as it was in that day, some plowing, Others driving wagons, in one place men herding flocks, and in another watching them by night, and dancing and playing and harping, in another place men striving and contending at law, elsewhere men weeping and having the dead in remembrance. He saw also the newly wedded receive with honor. And in a word, he saw all things that are done in the world, both good and bad. Abraham, therefore, passing over them, saw men bearing swords wielding in their hands sharpened swords and abraham asked the chief captain who are these the chief captain said these are thieves who intend to commit murder and to steal and burn and destroy abraham said lord lord hear my voice and command that wild beasts may come out of the wood and devour them and even as he spoke there came wild beasts out of the wood and devoured them and he saw in another place a man with a woman committing fornication with each other and said, Lord, Lord, command that the earth may open and swallow them. And straightway the earth was cleft and swallowed them. And he saw another place, in another place men digging through a horse and carrying away other men's possessions. And he said, Lord, Lord, command that fire may come down from heaven and consume them. And even as he spoke fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And straightway there came a voice from heaven to the chief captain saying this, O oh, chief captain Michael, command the chariot to stop and turn Abraham away that he may not see all the earth. For if he behold all that live in wickedness, he will destroy all creation. For behold, Abraham has not sinned and has no pity on sinners. But I have made the world and desire not to destroy any one of them, but wait for the death of the sinner till he be converted and live. But take Abraham up to the first gate of heaven that he may see there the judgments and recompenses and repent of the souls of the sinners that he has destroyed. You get the point of it. If, if we were God and saw certain things, come on, ask yourself a question. If you're almighty God and you see some guy hiding in stealth next to a children's playground and you know he's going to kidnap your best friend's kid, and he's going to take that kid away and, and kill that kid. And you were God, right? I know what I would do, right? Stop him by any means. Stop him. And he ha- if he has to drop dead of a heart attack, stop him. And on and on. We could give millions and millions of examples, in which case we would intervene, 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 intervene. And, and pretty soon we'd wipe out just about the whole world. Because, well, this one's going to sit here. Think of this you see in advance that this couple, if they conceive, they're going to give birth to a child named Adolf Hitler. And this child is going to be responsible for perhaps the death of 20 million people. Well then cause her to miscarry. Or when the boy's little, let him get in a traffic accident and die that we, we would not let humanity be humanity. And, and none of us would ultimately have a, a chance or choice to know the Lord because somewhere our family lines would have been cut off. It, it's just reality. Ultimately, God will set the record straight. Ultimately, God will bring light out of the darkness. Ultimately, God will bring good out of human evil. Ultimately, there will be a silver lining of redemption forever and ever and ever. And the scales will be set right. That, that's one reason we understand the importance of God's eternal dealings, that many things are not set right in this world. Many things are evil, wicked, wrong in this world. However, in eternity, many things that have not been set right will be set right. Ultimately, everything that was not set right in this world will get fixed in eternity, will get set right in one way or another. And God will certainly be vindicated as having offered mercy all and having been extraordinarily patient with us. What does it say in Romans 2? That, that the judgmental sinner thinks, ha, ah, you know, I, look, look at me. I'm doing fine. I'm alive. I'm well. That must mean that God's pleased with me. Or if there is a God out there, that he's not upset with me. And, and Paul writes back, don't you understand that it's God's kindness which is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, he hasn't destroyed you yet. He hasn't wiped you out yet not because you're so good, not because you're not deserving of judgment, but because he's so good and he's giving you time to repent. In fact, I may be talking to you right now. You think, Hey, I did this. I did this. No one saw God saw God saw. And, And it's all being tallied and will one day be raised against you to condemn you forever. And that's it. No excuses, no second chances, no high powered lawyers, no redos, no mulligans. But if you cry out now, he'll have mercy because Jesus died for every sin you committed, I committed. He took our place, received the judgment due to us so that God can turn to us and say, I'll forgive you, give you a brand new life that from here on, you live for me. What's it gonna be? What's it gonna be, friend? Don't play games with God's patience. We come back, I'm shifting subjects. I'm gonna talk about the Bible, headlines, and end-time prophecy. We'll be right back.
2: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866 34 Truth. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
1: Have you marked April 14th on your calendar? A few more days, we're going to get into more details. If you have my book, The Silencing of the Lambs, the last chapter of the book will fill you in on that. Otherwise, just, just mark it off for now. April 14th. Everybody can participate. In fact, if everybody participates, we're going to make a mark on the nation in the years ahead on April 14th. So just however you mark something on your calendar, mark it, circle it, highlight it, and we'll tell you why in the days ahead. 866-348-7884. Okay, phone lines are now open for any subject, just like on Friday, any Bible question, any theology question, any culture war question, anything relating to what's happening in the world today. Phone lines are open, 866-348-7884. Also, uh, the next several Tuesdays, barring an important interview or important news going on, we are going to make Tuesdays Theology Tuesday. And I, am, I, I solicited input on social media. What controversial theological subjects would you like me to weigh in on, discuss on the air? and we got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments. Of course, some of them overlap the same subjects, but a lot of really, really interesting things came up. Now, some of them are the difference between truth and error in a salvific way. Meaning if you rightly align with truth on this, then you would be in right relationship with God. If, if you turn your heart to him, you'd be standing on truth. On the other hand, some are such severe error that they would be cult like they would be heresy that if you believe those things you are lost, but most of them are divisions that we have within the body. So my goal is, yeah, we'll let the sparks fly. You bet. We'll heighten the controversy. You bet. There may be a a long line of callers waiting to blast me because you differ with me. That's fine. We'll have the healthy discussions. However, In the midst of it, I want to do my best to say how we can still work together as brothers and sisters within the same body. I'm not talking about heretical issues. I'm not talking about what you say, okay, that person's a Jehovah's Witness, or that person's a Mormon, or that person's in a cult, or this is an ancient heresy being revived today. No, that's off limits, And, and it's not a matter of, let's say we can work together as one of the body. That's a matter of calling those people to repent and be saved. But most of the issues that came up that that you suggested we talk about are issues within the body. So we want to model how we can have very intense controversies, very honest, open, deep discussions and differences without damning one another to hell over those, without dividing over them. And again, we will highlight differences. We'll be honest and clear. So we're going to be leaning into that in some of the coming Tuesdays. We'll see how long we do that. Okay, I have a question for you. Why must we turn every major event happening in the world into an end-time Bible prophecy? Why is it the moment there's a possibility of, of a really large war, this must be it, the prophecies are being fulfilled, this is the end of the age, this is it, Jesus is coming at any moment now, it's all falling into place. Haven't we learned our lesson yet? When I came to faith in 71 and how Lindsay's book, the late great planet earth was a selling Christian book. And, and everyone had worked out the prophecies had fallen into place and look at this and Jerusalem back in Jewish hands. It was a momentum time, a momentous time. Uh, the handwriting's all on the wall and Jesus coming back at any minute. Come on friends. <laughs> I had shoulder length hair, dark Brown wavy shoulder length hair back then, not this, gray hair and gray mustache and gray eyebrows and and receding hairline nancy and i hadn't even met yet both 16 years old at that point we hadn't even met 16 17 years old now we're, we're about to celebrate 45 years of marriage our oldest granddaughter is 21 years old in her junior year of college we weren't expecting that because all the prophecies have have it's it's all at the door it's all laid out friends why do we have to do this why do we have to find COVID in the Bible? Someone recently said, hey, if, if that's not a plague, a, a biblical plague, I don't, I don't know what a plague is. Well, think of this. It is serious. A couple of million people, maybe more, have lost their lives worldwide if we just go with, with the stats that are being reported. But, but how many people died of the Spanish flu? So you're talking, what, 100 years ago. Some have called it the mother of all plagues how many people died worldwide of the Spanish flu? And may I point out Jesus didn't come back then and, and he hasn't come in the hundred plus years since then still hasn't happened. And all those people that were alive back then, they're basically all dead, with the exception of a few that are hundred plus years old, about a half billion people contracted the flu and estimates are between 20 and 50 million died. I remember the world population then was much, much, much smaller than it is today. In fact, Kai, Chris, see if you can find for me and post what the world population was around 1920. This was something that was massively bigger, massively bigger, massively deadlier than than COVID. And <laughs> that was not the end of the world. That was not a plague from the from the book of, of Revelation, was it? No. Okay, let's let's go back looking here uh, about the Black Death, known as the pestilence, the great mortality or the plague. So it was in uh, Afro-Eurasia from 1346 to 1353. What was the population of that part of the world back then? It's the most fatal pandemic recorded in human history, causing the death of 75 to 200 million people in Eurasia. So here, okay, okay, I'm just looking at this. The plague might have reduced the world population from around 475 million to 350 to 375 million. So uh, in terms of world population, you're reducing it by over 20% of the world population. There were, there were parts of Europe where two-thirds of the population died of the plague, and that was not the end of the world. That was not a final plague from the book of Revelation. That, and, and whatever was happening there, there was no mark of the beast, etc. So, yes, every death by COVID is a tragedy. But, look, all right, so, so we're talking about, about 1.9 billion, 1920. Let's just up it to 2 billion people. As many as 50 million out of 2 billion died of of the Spanish flu. I mean, that is so exponentially higher than what we've seen with COVID, especially as it seems to be dissipating now. What's my point? It wasn't the end of the world then. And just because COVID happened and now Russia invading Ukraine, come on. World War II was massively deadlier, massively deadlier than the Russian invasion of Ukraine right now. Yes, things could escalate, things get worse, but we're always expecting this is it. It's all going to fall apart. Why? Where does the Bible teach us to think in that way? In fact, it doesn't. Jesus said, you'll hear of all these things, but that's not the end yet. Maybe this is yet another birth pang. Maybe World War II was a birth pang. Maybe World War I was a birth pang. What was the deadliest war in America? Any Jewish-related calls of any kind, 866-34-TRUTH. If you are a Jewish listener or viewer and you differ with me on my views about Jesus being the Messiah of Israel, by all means, welcome your calls as well. 866-34-TRUTH. So we started yesterday's broadcast with major, major news from the Supreme Court. Texas had enacted a heartbeat bill basically saying that in most all cases, once a baby's heartbeat can be detected, say, about six weeks, that no abortions after that will be allowed. Again, some rare exceptions, but that is the basic law. And it was set up in such a way that it could not be stopped in, in other state courts as, as easily as would normally happen, because it's basically up to the citizens to enforce this. In other words, if you know of an abortion clinic that is per, performing abortions for babies after six weeks, then go ahead and report that. So there was an emergency appeal appeal made to the Supreme court on Tuesday by different pro abortion. Let's, groups let's make they the priority how we can please God, how we can honor the Lord while we have breath as opposed to thinking Jesus is coming any minute. I'm going to be out here any second. How are you going to plan a family? How are you going to plan a career? How are you going to plan out an educational process? How are you going to birth a long time mission strategy? how you can do anything with a long-term vision when you're thinking like that? In the meantime, the world is going on, making its plans, doing what it does, thinking in a multi-generational way, whereas we're thinking, hey, we're out of here any second, is not a biblical way of thinking. It is not a productive way of thinking. When things get to a certain point, when the whole world is shaking, and things are so bad that human beings are literally dropping dead out of fear of what could be coming. And we see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. And and we, and, and we, we see the man of sin, the Antichrist, clearly a world leader, plunging the world into destruction and persecuting believers. When a whole bunch of things are in place that are not in place now, then Jesus says, look up, your redemption draws near. And that could unfold quickly. Things could suddenly happen in the next three, five, ten years, one year, where suddenly the world's turned upside down. And and things are going on we've never imagined. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So, friends, yes, there's a crisis in Russia, Ukraine, that if not handled rightly could explode, and hundreds of millions could die in nuclear wars. That's possible. But we're not there right now. Let's pray for wisdom. Let's, let's pray for divine intervention. Let's pray for God's kingdom to come as purposes to be done in the midst of this wisdom for our leaders to do the right things. Let's pray for peace in the midst of conflict and for people on all sides of the conflict to look to the Lord for salvation, mercy, and deliverance. And, and look, even if it was a nuclear war, it still doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It wasn't the end of the world when we dropped bombs on Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki as 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 many people's lives were taken and as much as the war was shortened that wasn't the end of the world so let me say this with scriptural authority when it gets really really close you won't need anyone to tell you anymore when you're in the car and it's drenching rain you don't need anyone to tell you it's raining okay we come back we're gonna take some calls 866 Three four eight
3: seven eight eight four. Call a It's
2: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
1: Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's start over with Martha in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thanks for calling The Line of Fire. Are you there, Martha? All right, let's try our next call. Uh, William in Georgia, welcome to the line of fire.
4: Thank you. Uh, Hey, in regard to your previous segment, there is an in-between status between a curse and a non-curse in Acts 13, 6 to 12, when Paul disables the sorcerer. I call that a command disablement. And if I have a second, uh, I was attending the uh, Charismatic Leaders Fellowship in Augusta, Georgia, and I believe you've been to that meeting years ago. And that was the first day of the invasion last week. And I prayed this prayer, and they all agreed. I said, Lord, confuse the Russian generals and commanders so that their attack be confused and dissipated. And then we also prayed, of course, for the people of ukraine and for for their protection and et cetera. but I did what Paul did a command disablement now i 'm not claiming that that prayer alone did it uh, i 'm sure millions of people were praying, but notice that the news reports say this is the most incompetent campaign the Russian army has ever done so i 'm urging uh, my my people in in Facebook play pray this. Command Disablement. I've written a, a blog on that, and it's in, hopefully, and in, in the book will, will come. But it's a Command Disablement, Acts 13, 6 to 12. You may want to look at that.
1: Got it. So I, I appreciate the call. So, friends, in case you're just tuning in, I had raised the question, as friends had asked me to raise, should we pray imprecatory psalms, psalms of cursing, judgment on Vladimir Putin? So God, stop him or kill him. You know, one of the two, bring him to repentance or take him out. And I said, it's, it's very dangerous to start praying those prayers for many reasons. And again, where does one draw the line? But to pray prayers like this, to do what you're saying and to say, God, we're asking you to bring confusion into the ranks of the enemy. So you're not asking for people to be killed or destroyed. There's still time for them to repent. But you're saying, let, let things be ineffective yeah, William, I very much appreciate you raising that. And the case of Paul, with apostolic authority there in Acts 13, he, he speaks this word of judgment, and Elimus, the sorcerer who's been opposing the preaching of, of the gospel, uh, he uh, immediately comes under judgment, and he, he can't see. He needs people, like a mist comes over, he needs someone to guide him by the hand, and, and Sergius Paulus that Paul's speaking to, like, whoa, this, this thing is real here. Hey, William, again thank you very much for the call. Much appreciated. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go over to Jason in North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire.
5: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. Sure. Um, I wanted to get your perspective on this because I've heard kind of uh, like a lot of times in American media, we only get like an A or B choice. Okay. It's like, these are the good guys. These are the bad guys. And, You've got to either believe this if you're on the left, and this if you're on the right. But I, I, I try to tune into like a seed perspective sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, so one uh, one of my favorite authors, he's uh, you you're probably familiar with Rick Joyner but he um he was given a historical perspective on on the region and stuff, and he wasn't sympathizing with Russia, but he was kind of given a little historical take on it. And I just wanted to maybe see what your take on it was, but he's basically saying that, um, you know, this area of um, th- right there, um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the capital city of, Rome- of I mean, of, uh, of Ukraine, uh, where all this is going on. Yeah, Ukraine. Ky- Kyiv. What's the capital city Yeah, Kiev. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's, anyway, he's saying that that city is 300 years older than Moscow, um, Russia, and that Russia was birthed out of, out of Ukraine in, in the capital city. And he's saying, that, you know, a little bit of from from Putin's perspective is that it would be as if the United, like if New England, kind of separated from the United States, and then later on, you know, and then when they signed it and agreed and everything, it was like we would never let the United Nations come here, and that was all agreed. and And that's kind of Putin's big thing is he's a nationalist, like Trump was, is a nationalist for the United States. And so, it, anyway, the other perspective was it would be equivalent to. You know, New England splitting off from the United States, and then the United Nations putting weapons and potentially nukes, you know, 300 miles from Washington D.C. So yeah, not, yeah we, we not actually yeah,
1: we done, actually but. talked about this with a guest last week, and raised these uh, raised these issues maybe even a week and a half ago, and the expan- potential expansion of NATO, and you know, Russia does not have natural boundaries of protection like we do. We've got the, the Atlantic to to the east and the Pacific to the west, which have been called the, the world's largest moats, you know, that protect us that way. We've got friendly nations north and south. So how did we feel when you know Russia was going to bring nuclear weapons into Cuba, etc. So if Ukraine became NATO nation, even though Ukraine surrendered all of its own nuclear weapons, it could potentially have nuclear support of NATO and you know Russia was paranoid about another invasion. Right. There, there are various dimensions. Others would say, I think, the 2014 election was really the CIA orchestrated the change in leadership then. And so, you know, you could say there's a lot of other stuff going on. And that's why I said earlier that when we hear certain reports, we don't know what's accurate, what's propaganda, you know, on, on all sides. I don't mean that it's all propaganda, but I mean, everything has to be sifted. But, yes, I, I agree, Jason, that it's more complex, that there are other issues. Some have even said, you know, the history of the church in Ukraine and Putin seeing himself as the savior of the, of the Orthodox church, etc. And then others just say it's as simple as, in his view, the Soviet Union together was, was powerful and, and it was a great force and it's been decimated and, and he's got to reclaim the former glory. So there, in the end, it's an evil wrong thing what he's doing, but you never know a lot of the other stuff going on behind the scenes that can nuance it. Again, what he's doing is evil and there are many innocent lives being taken, but is the larger picture more complex? Yes. Doesn't justify what he's doing or minimize the evil, but are there larger things to look at? Yes. I I do believe that there are, Hey Jason, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Uh, let's go to Isaac in Indiana. Welcome to the Line of Fire.
4: Hello,
0: brother. How are you?
1: Doing well, thank you.
0: So um, I've been saved for two years. I spent 16 years of my life in the Mormon Church. Mm. Um, God was trying to get my attention, and I found out it was false. It's an occult. And I went on searching for God. I moved from Northern California to Seattle, Washington, to Idaho, to, and I could never find God, and I felt lonely. And uh, I became somewhat of an atheist, but deep down inside, I knew something was there. I just couldn't figure it out. And um, my wife and I, there were some tragedies in our life, and we turned straight hardcore into witchcraft. And, uh, you know, we were communicating with the dead and all that stuff. And finally, and I'll be honest with you, you know, we were a bit of the world, and we grew our marijuana in California. We grew it. We were part of the adult entertainment business, and we went to every strip club, every swinger party, everything. And that that emptiness just got bigger and bigger, and I was finally done with life. I told my wife I want a divorce, keep the kids, because I was planning on committing suicide. And I I was just empty. And the night before I was going to commit suicide, I already had it planned out. It seemed like a great idea. Well, 3 o'clock in the morning, my wife comes out of the room because I'm sleeping on the couch, and she tells me, she says, God gave me a dream to tell you, to let you know sometimes it's too late. And it shook me because I said, I don't know who this God is. I've been searching for him, and he wants to ignore me, and all these things were going through me, and I could not comprehend, and it kept tormenting me. And then finally, to be honest, I don't know how it happened or why. I just opened my mouth, and I cried out to Jesus Christ. I said, Jesus Christ of the Holy Bible, not Mormon Jesus, not Catholic Jesus, real Jesus. If you were there, I'm done. I give up. I surrender. Do what you got to do. Save me. In moments, I'm telling you, within moments, he showed up.
3: Praise I didn't God. see
0: him. I felt him. And it was like if you were to jump into an ice bath of water, you would feel it. Mm. And all of a sudden, I felt these vibrations go through my body, and I was out. The next morning, I woke up. It was like all your life, seeing in black and white, and the moment you get to experience color. Incredible. I cried for three days straight. I was filled with peace and joy. I, I told my wife, I love you. I don't want to divorce you anymore. You know, there is Jesus and all this other stuff. Well, on that third night, we sat in a circle. As a, hey, as a hey, Isaac, friend. just one
1: thing. I've got about a minute before this show ends. So this is a a wonderful testimony. But you can either get to the highlight of the testimony or if you had a question, ask it. This is amazing to hear. The Lord really does save. But go ahead. Yeah. Yes. uh,
0: So I, I didn't believe in the gifts after I got saved. Recently here to Indiana, the Lord has proven to me the gifts are real. He gave me a dream, and I don't understand it. I've been searching. It's a man broke into our house in his dream. He held a knife up to my eight year or eight month old son and I had to kill him and blood and water flew out or came out of the barrel and it was leaking out of the ceiling. everything else in his dream I understand it
1: perfectly I'll tell you what let me me just jump in Um, what I would encourage you to do is say Lord if you gave me this dream then give me the interpretation or if you have a friend gifted in the Lord that has insight into dreams you can ask that person to pray with you about it. God has not given me that gift or that insight like he gave to Daniel or Joseph for dream interpretation. And in my own life, I do not have prophetic dreams. He speaks to me in other ways. But I would say, Lord, if there's something you're showing me through this, if if this is not just some insight in in terms of what I've been thinking about, but Lord, if you're showing me something, if there's a message you want me to get, give me the insight. Lord, you who gave the dream, Give me the insight, or give the insight to someone else whom you've gifted. Brother, may the Lord strengthen you, be with you, and do great things for you and your family in the days ahead. Back with you tomorrow, friends.
5: Another program powered by The Truth Network.